everybody it's a great blessing for me to come to you today and to bring you the gospel of God's grace we are continuing to talk about Romans chapter 10 and we've been in Romans 9 last week we go into Romans chapter 10 we're going to talk a little bit about confession and just bring the context of Romans chapter 10 and I believe there's going to be some beautiful things that's just going to open up to you that's really going to bless you and just help you in everyday life I would like to welcome everybody that is slotting in here for the first time as well as all of our regular web church viewers it is good to have you here and just to minister the gospel of god's grace to you god is a god of love and he cares for us even in the most difficult times we are under the love of god we are under the rulership of jesus christ and he is here bringing us love peace and joy and he brings forth his kingdom into manifestation in our lives. Now, in a previous message that I've had earlier today, I was talking about the kingdom of God and likening it to a tide that is coming in. I remember years ago, I took my 4x4 vehicle and I was uh, riding on the beach. And there was a narrow part, I think it was in the Mozambican coast. And the tide was pushing in and I had to get through there. And uh, I got stuck. Uh, well, thank God I could just deflate the tires more and drive out. But what happened was, as the tide came in, I, I found one of the waves rushing <laughs> underneath the vehicle, and um, we got I got stuck a bit in the sand. And then I found about five or eight waves uh, just staying far away from the vehicle. And the next, and then the, a wave came that was even further than the than the wave that got me into the difficult situation there. And Many times the kingdom of God is like that. You see a nice big wave come and you see what is happening and you are very happy for the kingdom of God advancing and you find the people are getting saved, people believing in the gospel of Jesus, things are getting better. And then you might find four or five waves that look as if this is not, the tide is not pushing, it's maybe going backwards. But then you see again uh, the tide is coming and nothing can stop that tide doesn't matter how powerful your vehicle is, doesn't matter who you are, you cannot stop that tide. It is just humanly impossible to stop that. In the very same way with the kingdom of God, God has come and he has done a very good thing in Jesus, in the resurrection of Jesus. And we are seeing the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, we are seeing the spreading of the gospel in the early church. And as what other waves of darkness come, we find that light is always advancing. And I want to give you hope. I want to say this to you. Never look at what is going on around you. Have God's perspective. I've preached it in the previous Sundays and I want to mention to you again. In these last days, God has not spoken to us in the different ways where he has spoken to us in the past or to our fathers, the prophets in the past. But now he's speaking to us through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the one who is now seated at the right hand of the Father, who has cleansed you of all your sins. So when you want to know where things will end up eventually, uh, Jesus is God's word on the end times. Jesus is God's word on the end of all things. He is called the revelation, meaning the revealing So Jesus is the revealing of God's word, he is the revealing of God's purpose. He is the revealing of God's work in this world. And if you want 
the word of God on how everything will end up eventually in this world, Jesus is that word. That means, as Jesus is now, so shall everything be in this world. You, including this you, as well as this whole planet, and everybody that believe upon him, as well as the whole cosmos. It will have the glory of God. It would be the invasion of heaven into earth, and then having the kingdom of heaven fully manifest in the earth. So I want to tell you, don't be afraid. You might say, but Bertie, what about if a bad thing happens to me now? And what if I'm part of those not so powerful waves the, where things look as if it's going backwards? I've got good news for you. In the end, it shall be all life. That is what is going to be. In the end, it will be like that. David says, and uh, I think in this week I made a little video wherein I explained and encouraged people through what happened to David. David said and he was busy being persecuted by his very own son, Absalom. Now think of that. That is not good family relations. That is not a good relationship with your son. The one whom your wife gave birth to, the one that you have cared for when he was a child, the one that you played with sat on your lap, the one that, was, that, that you fed, that you had a dream for. That one is now uh, wanting to kill you. He's seeking to kill you and take the kingdom from you. And you as a father is now running away, hiding in caves, hiding in places, because your very own son wants to kill you. In that time, David said, oh, it looks as if my troubles are just becoming more and more. And then he said, people would say, he trusts in God. He trusts in God. God is not even going to save him out of his problems. You know, there's a place where you feel, man, not even God can save me out of these problems. And people will even say it to you. But what did David do? He says, God, you are a shield about me, the lifter of my head. And then he says, I've called unto God and he heard me. And I went and I slept and I woke up, which meant that he kept me. You might say, but Bertie, what if I sleep in the dust of the earth? What if I die? That's exactly what happened to Jesus. He called upon God. God heard him. He slept. Where did Jesus sleep? He slept in the grave. That's where he slept. But the father woke him up out of his sleep and he was raised from the dead and then ascended on high where he is seated at the right hand of God, the right hand of majesty. Imagine that. That is where Jesus is right now. So he slept and he did awake and he is saying, the father kept me. He didn't see his holy one suffer corruption. And the very same word is for you. At the end, we win. We are winners now. We are more than conquerors through Christ that strengthens us. And I want to say this before I get into the message and before I pray uh, when we're going to read the word in Romans. I want to encourage you because there are many of you that might feel very discouraged on what's going on in the world. Some of you might not be worried about that at all and you're just experiencing the goodness of God and you're experiencing the peace of God. Glory to God and I'm happy with you. But I would like to address people that are stressed out. People that don't know what to do. People that are in hospitals that are ill, that are suffering. People that have lost their businesses. Uh, people in our internet church that maybe have lost their businesses and you're just feeling God trouble is just becoming more and more and more. I, I, I don't know what to do. I want to say to you 
that the same God that gave you the business, the same God uh, that brought forth life and peace and joy in you when things were going well, is the <laughs> he, has not he has not died. He is still your God. Things cannot change in the perspective of Him bringing you life. I want to use this example, and this is just uh, practical from my own life, and um, I would just, for those of you that might think it is political and um, think that I am trying to push politics, this is not the case. This is just some practical um, experience that I have. And I want to show you how I've applied this good news in my life or how the good news brought me new life. In this week, you know, there were people on one of my pages, some atheists come and they were just, I don't know if they were ganging up or what was happening. And one of the people said, uh, a person in South Africa, and he said, well, you know, the white people basically came in and they took land from our black people. The time has come when we're going to take this back and we cannot wait for... Uh, the government to change our constitution and those kind of things. And then I just, I thought of what the person wrote there and I thought, well, that's not even in line with what I preach. And obviously uh, this wants to install fear. It is the idea of losing everything. And uh, what came to my mind is God, the God that gave us what we've got is the same God. He can never be taken from me. And I just said to the person, man, uh, if you feel you need to do that, you need to do whatever you need to do. And God will still care and he will care for you and he will care for me. He is a, is a God of mercy, he's a God of grace. And my prayer is that he will provide for you. He will provide for the people that might lose their land and he will provide for food for everybody. And he'll give us a place where we need to go. You know, because the idea is not that well, thank God, by miracle, I got God to give me a breakthrough and now I've got something and now I need to keep it because it's so difficult to get God to give you a breakthrough. And now if you have the breakthrough because God is not stable, because God has now changed, he's changed his mind, he is not the same, now we must just make sure we keep this. We got God to get us a breakthrough, but now we don't know if he's going to do it again. We don't know if he's going to bless us. We don't know because God is unstable. No. God is the same. He is not changing. The same God that gave Jesus, that rose Christ from the dead, is our God. So be encouraged in that time. And I would like to pray for you, for everybody that is going through a very difficult time. There are people that um, called, called us just yesterday. You know, it's just like we don't know what we're going to do. We're losing our jobs. We're losing everything. What's, what's going on? We don't know. And I would like to pray for you. Father, thank you so much that we can come together and we can gather around your good news. We can gather around the gospel of grace, the message wherein we don't have to be afraid, where we don't find our life in the abundance of our possessions, but in every word that comes from the mouth of the Father. And as the enemy comes and tells us, protect your things so that you can have life, protect your job so that you can have life, we are just saying in the words of Jesus Christ, we shall not live by jobs alone, we shall not live by property alone, but we shall live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Father. And he has said, live. 
and we rest in that, we shall go and we shall call out to God on his holy hill, which we do right now, and we will go and sleep, and we will wake up, and we will see that he has kept us, he has preserved us. Father, I want to pray for every person that's going through a difficult time. I thank you, Lord, that you are the Father and the God that cares for the birds of the field, that doesn't, that that's just got the value of a bird. But we are much better than the birds. We are of much more value uh, to you than the birds. And I thank you, Father, that every person that is going through a difficult time, you are their father. You provide for them. You bring contentment to them. You bring peace of mind to them. You bring peace of heart to them. You bring assurance that the resurrected Jesus is their true destination and how things will end up. You bring assurance to them that that which you have begun, you will complete. And that they will be able to say, I believe this has begun and therefore this expected good end is mine. Thank you, Lord, that in these times we can find our lives flooded with your Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. Glory to God. Well, we're going to get right into the word now. And that is going to be from Romans chapter 10. We are going through Romans verse by verse, and this has been taking a long time, but I just felt, just go through it, and just preach, just share, <laughs> uh, you know, as you go through it, uh, it will bring enrichment, it will bring life, it will bring understanding, and as I am basically, and since I've committed myself to go through Romans, I mean, you, you get Romans 10 next, so you're studying through Romans, you read up through it, you go into the, into the history of it, you go into the uh, context that Paul, uh, Paul's context and understanding the literary context of the passage, everything, and you start to see what he says, and it is so liberating. Now, let us go right into Romans there, and I'm going to share the screen with you. Well, we hope it works this time. Yes, there it goes. Romans 10 verse 1. It says, Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Now, what is the context? The context, chapter 9. We're going into that quickly. The end of chapter 9. It says, as it's written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense, and whosoever believes on him shall not be ashamed, or we can also say, whosoever believes on him shall be saved. We can quickly have a look at um, chapter 1, verse 17. It's 16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. There we see it, salvation to everyone that believes. So we find that the Jews stumbled over the stumbling stone, which was Jesus. And we will see later today that stumbling over the stumbling stone there, or the rock of offense, is not to believe and to basically uh, live in ignorance of what God has done for us in Jesus, which I will also explain. Uh, so Paul's prayer is that they might be saved. Verse 2, For I bear them record, 
that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. It's not according to knowledge. The word knowledge there, um, let me read it to you what it means. Recognition, full discernment or acknowledgement. So what he says here is they have a, a wisdom, but they're not acknowledging Jesus. They're not recognizing him as the Messiah. That recognition is not to recognize as we just think recognize is. You, you, you see it, recogni recognize means to acknowledge. Okay, then verse 3. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for, for righteousness to everyone that believes. Okay, now that passage is so flooded with valuable information that I think we can preach this whole hour or the next 45 minutes just about that. But I want to just give you and sketch to you our traditional understanding of that passage. Our traditional understanding of that passage is we hope that Israel, or Paul hopes that Israel will be saved because they've now built up their own righteousness and they have not submitted them uh, to the righteousness of God because they've never heard the gospel. Because the scripture says that they are ignorant of the gospel. You've seen there that it says ignorant, that they, they, they have a zeal for God and they walk according but not according to knowledge meaning they don't have the accurate knowledge putting God basically in the place where he's the guilty one because he has not revealed the gospel to these people so what Paul says there seemingly is that I hope that Israel will be saved because they are just continuing in their laws because the church has not preached the gospel accurately to them and they are ignorant of the gospel there's a lack of knowledge they don't have knowledge and should they just be able to hear the right thing they will be saved now um, i want to say to you that if you read and we will not get to all of that this week definitely not but if you study the true context of the whole of romans 10 it says exactly the opposite it says they do know but they don't want to acknowledge it says they have heard but they refuse to believe and it says that they are blatantly ignoring what is being said and which jesus spoke to them that is what that passage says uh, and we're going to get to that but Today, I'm just going to show some of the proof of that, and then I want to lead this into the methodology that we started to use in making a method out of how we get saved when we get to verse 9 and 10, which says that if you confess and believe, you shall be saved. I want to I look at that, and I want to bring the true context of that so that we can see what Paul said and that we can be set free from trying to make a method wherein we think if we just say the name of Jesus and somehow believe we are magically saved and also then that is used as the foundation of the positive confession message where we must just confess positive all the time and if we confess positive we're gonna get what we say so today's message is a bit of a context of Romans 10 so that we can see what was meant when it was said you will believe 
If you confess and believe, you shall be saved. And then I want to address this positive confession thing from this context. Now, it says here, my heart's desire and prayer to God is for Israel, is that they might be saved. And I bear them record that they have a zeal for God, but not according to acknowledgement. So they have a zeal without acknowledging Jesus. For they being ignorant. Now I want to show you the, the, the word ignorant in the Greek here. And this is the definition we traditionally know. Not to know. Through a lack of information or intelligence. That is the definition we traditionally understand this by. But the Greek works this way. You look at the different definitions. Because any um, these defini definitions, and there are many of them, is connected to the context of the passage. So we say here, by implication means we can also imply to ignore through disinclination to ignore through disinclination which i believe is the case here so what he's saying is that these people these jewish people they and paul's prayer for them is that they might be saved and we're going to go now over well, the next week's over to chapter 11, where we're going to see that he says that a remnant shall be saved and that God has not cast the Jews out. And he's now praying and he's saying, I want them to be saved uh, because they are not acknowledging Jesus. What he's basically saying, you, when you don't acknowledge Jesus, the Jesus we know as the Messiah, how will you have life? And he then basically says that they have a zeal for God but not according to this acknowledgement. And they are not acknowledging him because they are ignorant of God's righteousness. And we've said, well, the reason why they don't acknowledge Jesus is because they, are, um, uh, they have not heard. But this is not what it says here. This is not what it says. Uh, like I said, in the con later on we'll explain that, but just take my word for it for now. He says, for they are ignorant of God's righteousness and have, they live, this ignorance, they live in, exactly what the word means, ignore, ins. It means to ignore through disinclination. Now that is very, very important. I have found that the scripture says, and I found it in my own life, it says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. If you are inclined to mercy, you'll find that through that inclination, you are, it's easy for you to see that God is a merciful God. If you're a generous person, it's very easy for you to see that it is not by tithing or sowing and reaping or any of those kind of things, because that's what you are already inclined to. And I believe that was the purpose of the law. The purpose of the law is to bring those that who by their own power want to be righteous before God and think they can do it by their own power, for them to get to a place where they see I cannot do it, I cannot do it, I cannot do it, so that they will every time come and ask for mercy. And as they ask for mercy, their inclination would be, man, I, I, mercy is the thing. They're now more inclined to mercy than to works. And through the inclination of mercy, they will then grab hold of the true mercy of God, which is Jesus Christ. So we find here that these Jews were ignorant, they were ignorant, because they, had the in, they were inclined to say, 
what must I do? What must I do? And then they were also inclined to believe that it is through the Jews. That was their inclination. And they didn't want to budge from their inclination. And because they didn't want to budge from their inclination in the context of chapter 9 there, their hearts are hardened. They don't want to hear. And by this we can already learn, listen man, rather think of mercy. Be inclined to mercy. Let your mind rather think, when you think of a difficult time, when you think of politicians being wrong, when you think of anybody being wrong about anything, don't get caught up Justice must be served, people must be punished, and all those kind of things. Because the more legalistic you are in your mindset, the more difficult it's going to be for you to see the mercy and the grace of God. I have seen it myself, and I, you'll remember, those of you that listened to me for years, I've had this, um, many years ago, I've, I've had this chainsaw, and somebody came in one of the churches that I was in, and he asked me if he could borrow my chainsaw. I said to him, yeah, definitely. You know, and he took the chainsaw and he cut the tree and I was waiting for him to bring back the chainsaw because it is just a principle that if you borrow something, you give it back. And my inclination was, as pertaining to <laughs> when you borrow something, that you give it back. And that inclination, uh, I was just walking in that all the time and I wasn't walking in a mentality of, ah, you know, I wasn't inclined to think that people can just forget and they'll bring it back and just call and, and he'll bring it. So I was waiting and I was waiting and I was waiting. He wasn't bringing it back. And then after a while I called him. I said, I want this chainsaw. And he says, okay, now I'll bring it. And he still didn't bring it. And I got so upset. I got so upset, you know, and I was walking the floor and I was saying to my wife, you know, I cannot believe these people. You know, they are quick to come and take something, but they never give it back. And they were, and I was just so inclined to this legalistic system. And what did I then see? What was the next thing that I saw? I saw a book in the shelf that I borrowed from somebody a year back and never gave it back. Uh, and you just, it is like the more you are inclined to the law, the more you see the law. You start to live in this guilt and the self-condemnation and, and all those kind of things. That is what takes place. But thank God that the overlying uh, inclination in my heart brought forth by God was that of mercy. And I said, oh God, thank you that you're merciful to me and you're also merciful to this guy. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, the thing worked out. So I want to just, I just think from that ignorant, let us not be ignorant. Ignorant meaning ignoring through disinclination. We can ignore and this is what he's saying here. These Jews are ignoring. How did they ignore the gospel? By the inclination of their heart. Justice must be served according to the law. God must come and punish these Gentiles. God must come and exalt us as Jews. We are the people of God by our uh, ethnicity, by uh, genealogy and all those kind of things. Having Abraham as a, as a physical father. And they were inclined towards the physical things of the law and their flesh. And as they were inclined to that, when the knowledge came of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and we're going to look at that now in John 6, when that knowledge came, what did they do? They didn't want to hear that. They automatically rejected that by disinclination. I'm not inclined to believe that... Um, 
all people are sinners. I, I'm not inclined to mercy. I'm inclined to the flesh. I'm a Jew and the law and these systems. That's what I'm inclined to. And should they have understood the law and be honest with themselves, obeying the law as they were supposed to obey the law, they would have found that this le leads them to Jesus. For well, the purpose of the law is to show you that you cannot do it by yourself. Okay, <clears throat> now let's go on to verse 4. It says, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. That word end is very beautiful. Let me show it to you quickly. The telos. This is what it means. To set out for a definite point or goal properly to point aim at as a limit as by implication the conclusion of an act or a state the termination literally figuratively and indefinitely the result so Christ is the result of the law so what is he saying he's saying that Christ is what the law will result into if you truly believe what the law says. So here we find that the law was pointing people to listen, it's going to be by grace. Listen, it's going to be by grace. But they were not just law inclined, they were self inclined, pride inclined, and it was difficult. But God breaks through people's uh, uh, pride. You know, He's greater than our hearts. He will come and, and bless us and help us. Verse 5. It says, for Moses describes the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which does those things shall live by them. What does he say? He says, listen, these Jews, should they not be busy with their own righteousness, they would have believed in Jesus, because Jesus is the end of the law. Should they have truly sought the righteousness that is pointed out in the law, they would have come to the righteousness of faith, which is Christ but what they do now is they are now building up their own righteousness they are not walking according to the law as they are supposed to walk according to the law for the end of the law is life this is what he says he says there that the uh, righteousness of the law says those who do those things shall live by them and now Christ has come he has come and he's given life so you would say well uh, if I look at the law, the law promises me life, and now life has come. That means that the true obedience of the law would then be to take hold of this life, which is the righteousness of faith, which is to believe in Jesus. That is what Paul has said many times in Romans. He says, the purpose of the law is to show me, wretched man that I am, uh, who shall save me from the body of this death? Ha, ah, I know of a man that was raised from the dead. Thank God for Christ. Therefore, I am not condemned anymore to have a dying body, but he's now come to give me life. Okay, then um, verse 6. But the righteousness which your faith speaks this way, and this is now something beautiful, and we're getting more into the crux of the message now. But the righteousness which is of faith speaks this way. Say not in your heart, who shall ascend into the heaven? That is to bring the Christ from above. That's very, very important to hear. Let me share that with you. Here it is. Uh, we don't need the Greek now. Verse 6, but the righteousness which is of faith speaks this on. 
Say not in your heart, who shall ascend to the heaven, that is to bring the Christ down from above, or who shall descend into the deep, that is to bring the Christ from the dead. But what does it say? The word is nigh thee, even in your mouth and in your heart, and that is the word of faith which we preach. Okay, so what is happening here? Paul is quoting from Deuteronomy 30 verse 11 and is interpreting Deuteronomy 30 from verse 11 to about, I think, 15, 16. He's interpreting that and he's explaining how we should not try and go into the heavens. He's, he's, he's talking to the Jews here. Don't go into the heavens and that is, and what they believed was, you need to go into the heavens to bring the law of God down. And you need to go over the seas to get the law and bring the law to the people that they can hear and do. And he takes that and he says, and, and this is what he does now. He says, you in Deuteronomy were saying, you believed we need to go into the heavens to bring the law down, the commandment of God down. But he says, the scripture says, what does the scripture say? What does... Um, how, do, how does this righteousness of faith speak, which is the righteousness Abraham had and the righteousness of God, which is described in chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. He says here, and I read it again, but the righteousness which is of faith speak this wise, say not in your heart who will ascend into heaven. Now remember Deuteronomy would say to bring the law down. He says here to bring Christ from above. So what is Paul doing? He's using Deuteronomy and he's saying, the law is saying, the law is leading unto Christ. Now what these Jews did, they believed that should you obey the physical law, and or now say the physical law, the law of Moses, and live accordingly, following all the customs, doing it right, you are ushering in the Messiah. You are bringing the Messiah from heaven, or a lot of them, I don't think, believe that it would, he would be from heaven. He would be a man, and like a normal man, and this man would then lead Israel in maybe a revolt and conquer um, the oppression and then bring the law and through the Torah, peace will be on the earth. He was saying here, listen, don't try and usher in the Christ. Don't try and lead him in. Don't try and bring it in through the law. You want to now go and do what needs to be done to bring the Messiah here. But the law of God, the law of life in Christ is now already here. It's the word of faith which we preach wherein we believe that he was raised from the dead. And from where we expect resurrection ourselves and the rulership of this kingdom manifesting in this earth. Okay, so what he's saying, and let's go to Deuteronomy quickly there. Uh, Deuteronomy 30, verse 11. It says, For this commandment, which this is the commandment which I command you this day, it's not hidden from you, neither is it far from you. It is not in heaven that you should say, Who shall go up for us to heaven? And bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. 
neither is it beyond the sea that we should say who shall go over the sea for us and to so and to bring it to us that we may hear it and do it but the word is very nigh unto thee it is in your mouth and in your heart that you may do it see i have set before you this day life and good and death and evil isn't this absolutely powerful don't go what, what is paul saying here he's saying to the jews they are saying that the messiah is not yet here and it's for them to bring and usher the messiah in but the reason why they say that is because the inclination in their heart is actually wrong and they have been rejecting and pushing away this messiah should they have believed what the law truly said they would have accepted the messiah for the end of the law is life say not the messiah is far say not the messiah must must still conquer our death rather say the messiah has now come and has conquered sin and death and then we go on and it says there in romans chapter 10 verse um verse verse 9 for if you shall confess with your mouth the lord jesus and you will believe in your heart that god has raised him from the dead you shall be saved now if you study this out in its context you will realize that every jew has back then believed that jesus is lord you would say badly but that is not uh, uh th that is not it they never confessed that with their mouths they never no all jews even today except for a small group confess lord jesus lord jesus would mean messiah redeemer or messiah savior and that is why many of the jews uh, they, they would they would acknowledge lord jesus messiah is the savior but they would reject that the person that was born from mary's womb is that messiah so the jews would say we cannot save ourselves we need a messiah that is the savior so they confess messiah savior but they will not confess that the messiah the savior is the one that was raised from the dead it was blasphemy for them to think that the messiah would die and be raised that was not part of what their inclination their inclination wasn't that their inclination wasn't a weak messiah that's now going to be killed by rome no their inclination was a messiah that's going to conquer rome that was their inclination and in their inclination they are now continuing trying to bring a messiah trying to usher the messiah in trying to bring him from heaven so what is actually focusing on here is not the confession of the mouth because that is not what was lacking in the jews they already confessed jesus as messiah or let me put it this way they already i used the words wrong there they already confessed messiah jesus or savior messiah they already confessed that but they didn't say it was the person jesus as we know him that believe upon him the um the child of joseph and mary the one that was born in bethlehem that is not what they the one that was from from nazareth they they didn't believe that he was the one but they already confessed a lord 
that would be from God. And that is what I believe happens in the scripture where the Bible says, many will in that day come to me and say, Lord, Lord, have we not done miracles in your name? Have we not cast out devils in your name? You all know that, the, and it is written in the scriptures that, uh, a form of casting out devils was already exercised by the Jews of that time. And they did mighty works in the name of the Messiah. Uh, remember, the name of the Messiah is Messiah Savior. In your name. What was his name? Savior. So the Jews already said, well, in the name of the Savior that is to come, we are now leading a revolt. Look, look at the Maccabean revolt. That happened. They came and they, they tried to lead the Jews out. They were fighting the Pharisees. What were the Pharisees doing? They were doing whatever they were doing in the name of the coming of the Messiah. It was in the name of the Messiah they did all, of, all that they did. And then Jesus says, one day you will say to me, Lord, Lord, have we not done all these things? And he would say, yes, you confessed that a Messiah would be the Savior. But I, the one that was raised from the dead, I don't know you. Why don't I know you? Because your inclination wasn't towards me. Your inclination was, was to a political leader, which you call Messiah and Lord. That's what your inclination was, which just gives us so much peace about this thing. Because, you know, we thought that that scripture meant, well, you know, there are some Christians that are going to come one day and God's going to say to him, you haven't done those things that I told you. You say Messiah, Messiah. But you haven't done the things that I told you. And what he was saying to them basically is, if you truly understood what Messiah was all about, you would have obeyed me. But your inclination is wrong. Therefore, you are now ignorant of me. You're ignoring. Ignorant means I'm seeing, but I'm not submitting myself to. And that is what Romans says there. It says, for they have not acknowledged him they're not acknowledging him and they've established their own righteousness and they have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of god meaning they have heard but they are not willing to submit themselves and even people rejecting christ like that paul is praying for them having a hope having an expectation bearing in his heart loving them that is what he's doing so here it's the confession thing that we're getting to is they were already confessing, but the problem was they didn't believe in their heart that God raised him from the dead. For with a mouth, confession is made unto salvation. So with a mouth, these Jews, they confess. Remember, the context is the Jews confessing. They confess unto salvation. There's a Messiah that needs to save us. But your heart believes unto the right Messiah, the one that was raised from the dead. And that is what Paul is saying. He's saying these Jews are already right in their confession. They are confessing the Messiah must come, but they are not in righteousness, in God fulfilling his promise, in that they believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. And we as Christians have made a beautiful uh, uh, method out of that just confess Jesus as Lord and just say the name Jesus. There's some magic in the name of Jesus. What this was about is the moment you can believe. And this is what the whole thing was. And he even goes on. He says, he who believes shall not be ashamed. So it is all about faith and not being ashamed. One of the old 
uh, one of the prophets didn't even use the word ashamed. He says, will basically be in a hurry. You will have rest. You will believe and rest. That is what it is all about. The true believer will believe and rest. Yes, we confess that there, there must come a Messiah, but we now believe that the Messiah is the one that was raised from the dead. So we say, yes, salvation must come, but we say salvation is in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is what this passage is teaching us. And we've made this massive thing about what we need to do. And one of the works that we've done, and this is now not in the context of, of uh, Romans 10, but now in the context of us uh, abusing this message of positive confession. And what we have said, let me just get the, the, the verse here. I'm not going to put it on the screen. Um, but what we have said is that we just need to confess positive because there's a principle that says if you confess and believe. So we confess, we confess we're going to have a breakthrough. And then we believe that we're going to have the breakthrough. Now that is not the word of faith. That is not the word of faith. You don't need Jesus for that. New Agers do that. They believe they're going to have and they confess that they're going to have. How's that different to, uh, I mean, to what most Christians do today? We believe we're going to have and so we believe that we're going to have and then we confess that we're going to have. And then we kind of have a thing, we even believe we've already received it. And that's a little bit where Jesus comes in. Because I've already received it in Jesus, because it's as good as done in him. And now I confess it, and I say it, and it's mine. And we've made a methodology out of this whole thing. And that kills the church and makes us feel guilty. Because we all know, who can all the time? speak right who can all the time speak positive by just by saying whenever you confess negative it's negative that whole statement is negative you know it is like a or if somebody confess negative and you say to him this negative negative confession is going to bring negative things over you you've just negative confessed negative over the map and you find that you cannot bridle your very own tongue. And it's set on course the nature of corruption, according to James 3, which we will not have time to get into. But let us see quickly how this works. John 6. You know, we've had this thing of we, we just need to confess. What about the mute? You know, there are mute people. They cannot say the name of Jesus. They will never be able to say the name of Jesus. And then, you, then we will just change our theology quickly and say, well, God understands. If they just think it. So what about the man that has a tongue that thinks it? It doesn't work for him. So we can actually say, blessed are the mute. Because should persecution come, they don't have to confess for they don't have a tongue. It, it just brings a lot of questions it makes it complicated it makes it difficult the true context of the confession is this the jews were already confessing that a messiah needs to save them but they didn't believe that it was the man that god raised from the dead 
Therefore, they were still busy with their own righteousness now and they were with their own faithfulness where they want to be faithful in bringing in the Messiah and they were not busy with the righteousness of God, which is God's faithfulness in giving a Messiah. And the scripture says this, and, and let me read it. It says, For with a heart a man believes unto righteousness, and with a mouth confession is made unto salvation. It says here, The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. Were they preaching the word of faith as confess for stuff and believe you're going to have the stuff, mean it's sealed in Jesus, then you're going to have it? No, the word of faith that they preached was they believed that Jesus was raised from the dead. The word of faith is not the word of faith movement that is in America that has come to the rest of the world, which is now everywhere. No, the word of faith is not, I believe that I'm going to have a breakthrough and I can't. That's not the word of faith. That is, in, in a big degree, humanism slash under the cover of Christianity. No. The word of faith is, according to this passage, is the message that you don't have to go into the heavens to bring the Messiah, but that the Messiah is here. He is the one that was raised from the dead. You can now believe that he was raised from the dead from where you can have the persuasion or the faith, which results in a hope that he's the one that will also raise you from the dead. That is it. Labor not. John 6, 27. Labor not for meat which perishes, but for the meat which endures unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him has the Father sealed. Jesus comes, he says, don't follow me with your little boat and try to get food from me, physical bread and those kind of things, although he gives it. He says, but rather have the bread that, uh, that will produce ever everlasting life. Then they said unto him, what shall we do that we might work the works of God? So they said, listen, man, Jesus said to him, labor that you may have the true bread. He says, okay, what is the works of God? What is the thing that we must do? Then it says here in verse 29, this is the work of God, that you believe on him whom he has sent. So what must you do? God, we want the bread that goes to everlasting life. Okay, Jesus, what must we, Jesus says, work that you can get the bread that will last, give you everlasting life. Okay, Jesus, what must we do? We want to work. What is our work that we must do? Believe on me. Okay, so what do you do? What are you busy with? So if you say we must believe on you, what is your work? Let's read. They said unto him, What sign do you show us that we may see and believe you? What does you work? What work are you bringing forth? What are you busy with that we must trust you that we can have eternal life? He says, and Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, Moses gave you not, uh, not the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the bread that is from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life unto the world. For I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. Now he's talking about what he's doing. 
What is he doing? And this is the will of the Father which he has sent me, that all that all of which he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up in the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which sees the Son and believes on him may have everlasting life, and I may raise him up in the last day. So what is he saying? They say, he says, listen, all the things you work, you work to have some life. But I want to tell you, don't waste your time. Do the work that can lead to eternal life. What is that work? Believe on me. What are you doing? I've come to do the will of the Father, which is to raise you up from physical death and bring what God has promised to you to you. So believe me that I will give you eternal life. And that's it. That's how simple it is. So we as the church don't have to think that Yes, God has come and he has given us a way. Um, the way is Jesus. But we are so inclined to what we need to do that when we read the passage where God is actually saying, the only thing we need to do is believe upon him, rest upon him, that belief is the true fulfillment of the Lord, trusting in him, that we are so inclined to unto works that we are ignorant of what God is truly saying, so that when we read Romans 10, that we are so blind to what it says, that we get a method on what we need to do in order to prosper in this world. It means your inclination is wrong. You are ignorant of the true message because you are inclined again to what you need to do. That's where all this positive confession and all those kind of messages are born from. Now, I do believe that you will confess the positive. As you are born from God, it is a fruit that will come to your lips. It will be whatsoever is good and lovely of good report. It will flow out from your mouth because your heart is full of it. For with a heart we believe unto righteousness. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. Now, we've never understood that passage in the church. I've, what I taught here now, um, I'm sure there are uh, some theologians that will teach it in that context and that there must be many of them. I haven't heard it. I just studied it out. And that is what I see is written there. The Jews already confessed that there is salvation by Messiah. But they didn't believe that he's the one that was raised from there. That's why, why Paul preach and he says i preach christ i preach messiah but i preach him crucified showing who he is not leaving the door open for it can still be anyone else because all the jews believed in a christ or in god's christ but they didn't see that it was the one that was born of a virgin that had the the carpet that was the carpenter's son that's why all this detail was put in the Gospels, which was written many years after Jesus walked the earth, 30, 40 years afterwards, um, the early ones. So that is, um, that is what I think we need to see here. And I would like for you to see that, let your inclination be towards, it is for free, it is God doing it, it is Him. And as you have that, you will see more and more in the Scriptures and it will bring life unto you. He's come to give us a new commandment. What is this commandment? 
Confess positive, never say a negative thing and you will have a blessing. Believe that you're going to have that, bus th that business deal. And then just confess it. Because if you believe and confess, then you'll have it. If you use that scripture for that, you are completely using it out of context. But Bertie, how am I going to be sure that I'm going to then have the business deal? Why do you want to be so sure of your business deal? Why are you not just sure that Jesus will give you life? This is Jesus' work, to give you life. What must I work to get this life? Believe that Jesus will give you the life. That's it. But I confess for this deal like this. I claim, I name, I, I mark it, I park it, I frame it, I name it, I put the pictures up, I point to it in my finger. It's going to be mine. It's going to. That's not what Romans 10 says. Yes, badly, but what about uh, the scripture in Mark? Whatsoever you say, you will have. You know, if you really study the context of that thing, and I, next week we will get into that, but just a quick, a quick message on, on what that is. That is simply saying the temple was cleansed by Jesus. The end of the old kingdom is now happening and the new is already in. And whosoever says to this mountain, be removed, it shall be done unto him. And I believe Jesus was pointing to himself, removing the mountain on which the temple was built. Shaking that mountain, removing that mountain, ending that whole thing. And the Bible says, whatsoever you believe, you say, you shall have. That belief means whatever you believe has already started to happen. And he was referring to the ending of the old kingdom, the kingdom of works and man's way of doing Israel and that kingdom and the inauguration of the new. Whosoever believes that it is already happening, he, it will be like that unto him. Now, I don't have time now to explain to you. I've got it here in the lexicon that I wanted to share with you, but there's not enough time. Next week, I will do that. But know this. A new commandment has been given unto us. What is the commandment? Deuteronomy. It says, this is the commandment that we've received. Don't go, over, don't go and try and get the Messiah from the heavens or try and get him out of the grave. Paul changes the words a little bit where they used over the sea. He, he says, well, listen, this Messiah is actually from, risen from the dead, man. And he points them to the Messiah. Don't say in your heart, I'm going to do this so that I can hear what must I do in the future. I can tell you now what you need to do. Just believe him. That's what he's saying. Just believe him. This is the commandment. Believe the Messiah is raised from the dead and he, his kingdom is already now in the world and it is like a massive uh, tidal wave that's coming. This tide is pushing and it's coming and it's taking over. Just believe that. That is all you need to do. That is all. So what is the commandment? Believe on Jesus. What's the work that we must do? Believe on Jesus. A new commandment I've given unto you. Believe on me. That you would love one another as I have loved you. That is what the passage says there. John 13, 34. Let, us sh let me show you that. And that will be a good one to end off with.
A new commandment I give unto you. We've now already seen what that commandment is. Now you say, no, Bertie, the new commandment is that we should love one another. Let's look at the Greek there. In order that. In order that. Denoting the purpose and the result. So the... And I give you a new commandment and the purpose of that commandment and its result will bring forth that you love one another. Sire, that, in order that, so that. There you see it for yourself. A new commandment, believe me, I give unto you, in order that you can love one another. We thought a new commandment is given unto us. It is by our faith and our confession. So now we can create our own life. No. He says, I have come. And I've promised you a life. Stop to try and create it. Believe me, I give it. That is all. Glory to God. So in this time, you might say, Betty, but how's that how does it practically work for us in this world? Listen, man. With Everything going on in the world now with news, fake news, stats, fake stats, conspiracy theories, governments locking down, police brutality, all those things going on. You will not even know what to confess. You will not know if you must confess to take a flight or not take a flight because you will not know if the government has opened the flights or not. You will not know what to say. Get this whole thing about confession, confession, a little bit out of your mind and just say, Jesus, I know you've got me. I know that this is your commandment. Trust me, for you have a job that if the Father has given you, me unto you, that you will raise me up in the last day and make sure that I have the very fullness of the life of God. I trust you and I rest. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Well, that is what I wanted to share with you guys. I trust this message has blessed you. And if it has blessed you, uh, listen to it again. Share it with some friends. That's what people need to hear. This is the power of God unto salvation. Not because Bertie Brits preached it. Not because of me sharing some scriptures here. But just the message of Jesus that he was raised from the dead. That is the power of God. That is it, God's righteousness, not our own righteousness. God's righteousness. Amen, amen. Let me pray for you. Father, I want to thank you for your grace, your mercy, your kindness, your love. Thank you that you have come to give us eternal life and that that life is in your Son. Thank you that you've come to give us a new commandment and that commandment is to believe upon you and that brings forth love for all people. Thank you for your kindness that you've expressed towards us and that you have a a task that was given to you by the Father, and that is, should the Father give us unto you, that you will secure our lives, protect us, and raise us up in the last day. And thank you that we can rest in you. And from this rest, we find the fruit of life already showing forth in us. And it is, it is just so perfect for us to see your love flow through us in the here and now. Thank you, Lord, that we can be inclined to you and your gospel and to grace and not ignore what you are doing. Amen and amen. Thank you so much that I could serve you today. Remember, you are loved by God. Amen.